This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. Dr. Andre Wiseman provides treatment for opiate addiction with ANR and has achieved unparalleled results. The ANR treatment became the most effective and safe way of treatment that allows patients to be free from opiate dependency and its side effects, withdrawals, and craving. ANR has helped over 24,000 patients worldwide. One of the more notable treatments happened in 1998 when Dr. Wiseman helped a six-year-old child that became opioid-dependent after a brain tumor removal. Opiate addiction is a disease of the central nervous system. It's not a personality disorder. It's a disease, a disease that is highly treatable. Dr. Wiseman's vision for the future treatment of opiate addiction mirrors that of a dentist appointment, where individuals would walk into their local hospital, announce that they have an opiate addiction, and would be treated right there on the spot. It's for this reason that he has expressed no desire to patent this method. He wants everyone who is in need of this life-saving treatment to have access to it, whether it is with him and his team or not. Even though that vision seems a ways off, Dr. Wiseman persists in his activism and has taken his plight worldwide. From the early 1990s until today, the ANR method has spanned continents in its reach. From Italy to Australia, Indonesia to the United States, Over 20 countries and countless patients have been positively impacted and their lives forever changed by the work of Dr. Wiseman. Valeria interviews Dr. Andre Wiseman. He is the developer of ANR, an opiate addiction specialist, ICU physician, and speaker. Dr. Weissman has spent the last 30-plus years working in the medical field in a variety of positions in several facilities ranging from intensive care medicine physician to consultant to medical director, as well as chairman and chief of ANR clinics throughout the world. He specializes in opiate dependency and is most notably known for developing the ANR, Accelerated Neuroregulation Treatment of Opiate Dependency. He has helped more than 24,000 patients globally overcome opiate dependency with this groundbreaking procedure. Passionate in his mission, he is determined to help people understand that opioid dependency is a treatable medical condition. Giving lectures and presentations to numerous universities, medical centers, and congresses. Additionally, Dr. Wiseman is awaiting publication of his book, Changing of the Guards, which challenges the current policies on drug dependency. Meet Dr. Andre at anrclinic.com. Here's the interview with Dr. Andre Wiseman. In your own words, who is Andre Wiseman? I'm a man, uh, 
trying to meet what I perceive as a purpose in this life of, of, of ours, you know, because uh, our existence was given to us for free. But to create a life is a different matter. And, uh, and I think I was lucky enough that at the very early stage, I found probably what became my purpose, which is um, the healing aspect of, of, of interactions between uh, men and men, human beings. Because I do believe there's a healing aspect on everything that surrounds us. But uh, we can play a role on that too. And then I felt into this field of, of what people tend to call addiction, that I rather call dependency, that when you expose ourselves to a chemical element and we introduce this chemical element into our system, this there's a chemistry, there's a lot of chemistry going on all the time, but when we introduce a newcomer to our chemical world, this newcomer will cause some changes, and they are biological changes. And of course, biological changes will influence the way we feel, the way we perceive ourselves and the world, and the world, and will create a very strong impact in our in our journey. So. The problem is there's science there. I don't try to sound arrogant that we know a lot. <laughs> what is called science, we still have so much to learn and there's so little we know. But with that, we know enough to, to improve uh, biological, biological conditions of human beings. That's what medicine is all about, is to try to optimize and to improve Sometimes people call the cure, but there's no cure for there's no cure for life, as there's no cure for love, there's no cure for anything, to be honest with you. But if we can improve the quality of life of others, uh, we should do. And on the issue of dependency, uh, in order to improve, we do have tools that can influence the core of the problem, because the behavior. Uh, most the problem is on the 60s when when the drug addiction scene became important i mean socially economically uh, infectious diseases and, and and society start playing like a paying a price for 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 this condition technology was not there so we could not understand opioid receptors for example today we can film them so if in the 60s we could not understand and today we can even film those opioid receptors, how come the treatments that are being offered to human beings today, they are 60, 70, 80 years old? I mean, nothing has changed on that. It's like all the advantages of modern medicine are not being used in this field. So I know that we don't have hours to talk, so I have to try to be a little bit more concise. So actually, you know, when there's a chemistry event happening in our body, a biological event, usually people that deal with that, professionals, they are physicians. They are people that work in the field of medicine. But unfortunately, uh, dozens of years ago, uh, what is called today addiction medicine was created as a concept the tragedy became that addiction medicine is like a, 
you know, uh, a, a train track that one side will never meet the other. So addiction medicine went into moral prejudices and all kinds of, of judge, judgmental concepts about human um, uh, behavior with, with zero science, with no medicine. Therefore, the treatments became the same. You know, today people, they define human beings because they have a certain kind of dependency and they label them like, like they're all one. They have the same attitude. They're going to behave in the same way. They have the same problems. So when you go for a treatment today, it's like they write in a, in a script to tell you who you are and they expect you to, to live accordingly. And that's not the way it works, you know, which we are all unique, each one of us. You know, I, I personally don't believe in numbers, you know, and, and I don't believe in two or three or five. I believe in one and another one and another one. And each one is unique. But with that are certain patterns, some, certain biological uh, uh, events that they are, they are similar in human beings. So, for example, if I expose my brain to opiates, and doesn't matter why, or I try to, for recreation, because I wanted to feel high, or I have a pain problem, or, you know, I had a pain problem, I use it and made me feel great. So, I wanted to use again. So, it doesn't matter why you expose your brain to opiates. The moment you do that, there's a biological event that will take place. And if you keep doing that, the biological event will turn into a medical illness. And what is the medical illness? Is when you compromise your endorphin system. Endorphins, we produce endorphins. Endorphin, if you see the name, is endomorphin. So it's a natural opiate that we all produce. And we are all dependent. Why? Because the endorphin system is our natural painkiller, is our natural antidepressant, is our natural anti-anxiety, allow us to feel joy, modulates our sleeping patterns, regulates temperature and fluids. So it's a system that is so important on, on so many aspects of our life that once this system is compromised, all those functions will be compromised. And that's what people call the withdrawal syndrome. So once the system crashes, people, they have to hunt for self-healing. They have to find an alternative. Yes, the system was compromised because you expose your brain to, to opiates. But then the endorphin system is compromised. Now you need to hunt for opiates to replace it. And the problem is that we produce a certain amount of endorphins and accordingly we have a certain amount of receptors because they are specific. They are opioid receptors. Now, the moment instead of producing micrograms a day, people start using milligrams. So the body keep producing more and more receptors. And suddenly the amount of opiates that I needed uh, two months ago is not enough anymore because I have more receptors, so I need to take more, and then I take more. And what happens? I produce more receptors. And people die because they reach the day that the amount they think they need is the amount that will kill them. So 
most human beings I met in my life, they would rather be healthy than ill. That's the way I perceive people. You know, people don't like being ill. So the concept that those people, they are enjoying themselves is totally wrong. The concept that they should pay a price for their wrongdoing is not human. It's totally wrong. Doesn't matter why. They develop a medical illness. And this illness is being labeled as a chronic relapsing condition. So they tell those people, this will hunt you for the rest of your life, like a curse. But why is chronic? Because nobody knows how to reverse it. And why nobody knows how to reverse it? Because those patients was, were exposed, was exposed. They, they were sent out of the halls of modern medicine because they are treated in those centers they have nothing to do with the, with science and modern medicine. Now, if you think that in medicine, for example, any anesthesiologist, what they do every day is to put people to sleep, sleep and wake people up afterwards. Now, they use opiates. Now, the opiates will work for six hours. The surgery just took two hours. So how they wake up the patients? So anesthesiologists, they know how to expel, how to take opiates out of brain receptors. There are medications to do that. So who in medicine, who is managing the opiate system, the endorphin system, are anesthesiologists or critical care physicians. Now you tell me, how many anesthesiologists are working in the field of addiction? Mm, not too many. or well, none. <laughs> yes. So it is interesting. Imagine that, I don't know, you're walking the streets and then suddenly you fall, you break your knee and it's hurting you very much. So instead of bringing you to a hospital so an orthopedic can deal with your knee, they see your behavior and they bring you to a psychiatrist because you're not behaving well. Do you understand? So you develop a medical chemical condition that changes their behavior and who is treating most addicts today? I tell you, clean addicts, social workers, psychologists, and some psychiatrists. What this has to do with this field, I tell you, nothing. Not a thing. So, so people talk about the opioid crisis and this and that, and the governments will put budgets and billions and billions and billions of dollars. So the remedies from the policymakers, the politicians, is always to put budget, to give more resources. The problem is that all the resources are going to, to the same direction, to the wrong direction. So every year the problem becomes worse, and they, they put more resources, but nobody is open their eyes and say, what is wrong here? Because nothing has changed in 60, 70, 80 years, the problem just becomes worse. So, so, and it's very simple. It is very, very simple. This condition is totally reversible. Sometimes what is not to totally reversible is the condition that those patients in the course of their illness, they lose hope. They lose self-esteem, self-respect. Self they don't love themselves anymore. They don't trust the world anymore. So I treat people after 20, 30 years that emotionally, 
they are totally empty and totally with disbelief and totally, and this is very hard to change. Those are the secondary effects of the untreated primary illness. Because if those people who have been properly treated, you know, let's say after six months of their dependency, after one year, all those secondary effects, which is the, the, the actually, you know, I'm not John Lennon, but I would say the destruction of love, because, you know, without gratitude and love, what we can do around, not much. You know, we can just try to survive and then, and then you know, you don't have even the motivation to try to take good care of our own vessel. So those people, they just don't care anymore. And, and it's a shame because then they are defined because of that. But they became like that because of us that we, we deny them proper medical care. I'm sorry, I'm talking for too long and, and you wanted to ask questions. That's wonderful. I'm just listening to you here in awe. <laughs> and that's exactly what caught my attention immediately. When you say, I have it here, quoting you, opioid addiction, it is a disease of the central nervous system. It is not a personality disorder. Yes. So that really caught my attention because I also thought that it was a mental, like a behavior, a mental issue, so mental health issue. So I guess now it's the, I want to almost get to the good news. Uh, talk to me about the treatment that you have developed, the ANR, Accelerated Narrow Regulation. So first of all, the terminology says it all because I realized many years ago that uh, detoxification is, should not be a therapeutic goal. That's not what we need. Those people, they can quit. They could quit definitely at the beginning. becomes more difficult as time goes. But they, they, they quit many times, you know. So if you think that most of the people I treat today, you know, they went to, to dozens of clinics their whole, their whole period of dependency. So they try. means that they can make good decisions. Some succeeded many times, like they say, to get clean and to be sober for, for a certain period of time. So first of all, they know how to make good decisions. They have the willpower of overcome severe withdrawals, but somehow they keep going back. And, and what they claim is cravings. And, and 30 years ago, I asked a psychologist, what is craving? And he said, um, oh, it's a mental condition. And then I said, okay, we're not born with that, right? He said, no. Where it is located, I ask. And he said, what do you mean? It's a mental thing. I said, yes, but it has to be somewhere. It's not floating in the air. And then he put the hand, the, the, you know, he, he pointed to his brain. I said, oh, that's a good start. So something happens there. So it's very simple to make a long story short cravings that, you know, mood swings and cravings, that that's what bring people back once they are well and clean, is a, is a psychological manifestation of a biological problem. As I said before, once you start using milligrams of opiates instead of micrograms of endorphins, your number of receptors keep growing and growing and growing. Now, when people overcome the withdrawals and they get, you know, clean, as they say, what happens? Happens that 
they are producing again a normal amount of endorphins that the, the body can produce. The problem is that they have now so many receptors that the normal amount, amount of endorphins will never be able to satisfy those receptors. So it's like you having a 82 stomachs and people tell you don't eat too much. You know, you're destroying your life. So, you know, doesn't matter what you do. You have to fight against this, this permanent hunger that you have, which is craving. So actually, the goal of the treatment is to establish a normal balance between endorphins and receptors to allow patients to enjoy the benefits of their own endorphin system. That's the goal of the treatment. Now, the problem is for some people that the treatment is too short in their view. But again, um, I, I build a protocol in, in, a, in a treatment based on what's needed, not on time-wise. So the patient comes in the morning, at the, comes to the hospital in the morning. Of course, before the patient comes to the hospital, we evaluate the patient. We have several meetings with the patient where we explain to the patient the difference between this, this term of addiction, which is a very vague and not comprehensive concept, yeah. and dependency. And we explain to them. Mm. We don't treat addiction because we don't know what addiction is, to be honest. But we will treat your dependency and you will restore your chemistry the way it should be, the, the way you can call it nature, God, call it as you like, the way you're supposed to have it, and you take it from there. So after the treatment, by the way, the only treatment those people need is the same treatments we all need. Good nutrition, physical activities, and intellectual stimulation. And when I say intellectual stimulation, you start with love and gratitude. Now, okay, so, so how we do that? So when the patient comes to the hostel after all the assessment before, we make all the labs, of course, and we give medications to the patient to protect the same systems that will be affected during the procedure. So this preparation will take five to six hours. Patients will receive medication that will make them ease, will make them calm. Most will even fall asleep naturally at this, this period of time. And then we assessing the patient, we can assess the respiratory tract, hemodynamics. We can see how those patients, each one individually, respond to medication. Because, you know, modern medicine, unfortunately, uh, people are being treated like statistics. And, and, and the modern medicine is, is disregarding a lot of the self-healing system that works better than any medicine we know, number one. Number two, is very individual. It's very specific to every human being. So when doctors give the same dosage of medications to all patients, it's doing a very gross and non-delicate kind of medicine. We try to do everything in a very delicate way, so we've tried to analyze as much as we can the needs of each patient and of each system. So those six hours allow us to know how the heart responds to medication, how the blood pressure responds, the pulse, the respiratory tract, and we give protection to the GI tube as well. 
So once the patient is ready, we bring the patient to a critical care unit, not because the patient will be in critical care condition, but we need critical care monitoring. As I said before, each one is an individual biologically, somebody that is dependent for five years doesn't have the same amount of receptors of somebody dependent for 15 years. So we need <clears throat> to continue evaluate the patient with the monitors we have and clinically in order to be able to block the extra receptors and to reestablish this, this delicate balance according to the needs of that specific patient. It's not a recipe fits all. No, no, not at all. So, and that's what we do. So the patient is asleep. We try, we start giving medication that will take opiates out of the brain receptors at once. So something that will take a week happens in minutes. Once this happens, by doing that, we're going to trigger because suddenly there's no opiates in the brain. So the body will respond with a withdrawal syndrome waves of symptoms and signs of a withdrawal. So, so the, our patients are asleep, but it's not under anesthesia. They are breathing by themselves. And if I pinch their arm, they will move the arm. Yes, we use anesthetics at different dosages at different times to achieve different goals. So the patient is a, unconscious, doesn't feel any pain, he doesn't feel anything, he or she. <coughs> so, and then we start cleaning those receptors. By doing that, we're triggering the withdrawal. And then we control the withdrawal by reducing the intensity of the waves with good medication. So every, every patient has, has a, a, a dedicated critical care nurse on him, one for one, another extra nurse, and one anesthesiologist that can evaluate everything and tell you. So we follow the ways and reduce them, of course, of withdrawal until like after four and a half hours, five hours, there's no more waves of withdrawal. It's done. It's finished. So I know that this patient is properly blocked. And then we wake up the patient. Now, throughout the night, we must observe the patient because we have signals and signs that will tell us it's fine-tuned, actually, because will tell us if this patient is a little bit overblock or underblock, and then we can correct through the night, okay? Now, the patient will not feel great at night for two reasons. First of all, he went through everything he went. Just for you to know, they shake, they sweat. You know, if you wouldn't have a, a nasogastric uh, tube, a lot of vomiting and diarrhea and all the symptoms and signs of withdrawal will happen in a very intense way for a short period of time. So the body goes through a lot. So when we wake them up, they cannot feel great, but it's a recovery. Every three hours, four hours, they improve and improve and improve. And the second reason why they cannot feel great is that we can recover the capability of the body to produce endorphins, but we cannot recover in full um, the full amount of endorphins somebody can produce, we cannot do that in four hours. So we recover some, I don't know how, how the percentage is very individually, and throughout the night, the endorphin keeps kicking up. So patients will improve throughout the night, physically and psychologically. If the patient doesn't have any serious 
medical problems are part of the dependency. Let's say that most patients in the afternoon of the second day will feel good enough to be discharged from hospital. And then they are out of the hospital and they need another two, two days for the system to stabilize. You know, the stabilization of the endorphin system will require another 48 hours. And then they are back in life and all they need to do is to optimize the system like we all should do, good yeah. nutrition, physical activities, intellectual stimulation. Mm -hmm. And that's it. That sounds uh, like the recipe for success when it comes to opiate addiction. And then my question is, is this something that could work or are you developing another treatment for other kinds of addiction, alcohol, nicotine, cocaine? Okay, um, there, there are tranquilizers from the family of benzodiazepines, Valium, Clonopin, and all that, which is a huge problem. Uh, because we have antagonists, um, we have medication that knows how to go to the same receptors, I started already doing some work on that, but I'm honest with you, I'm, I'm totally dedicated on opiates. I tell you why. You know about drug addicts and you know about addiction. What about the newborns? You know that in America, every 15 minutes, you have a newborn with the withdrawal syndrome. Do you know what will happen to them? I tell you, 40% will have brain damage to some extent. Why? Because there's no treatment to reverse that. So doctors give them opiates or morphine or methadone and try to win them off in a month and a half. Do you know, do you know how long will take us to reverse this dependence in the newborn, 40 minutes. Now I can tell you something else, children, children who had cancer and because of the cancer and pain management treatments, they became dependent on opiates. And what happened? Nobody knows how to reverse that and nobody will send the child to a, a rehab facility. So what happened to them? I tell you, they go to school, 10, 12 years old, 13 years old, under the effects of methadone. And they become zombies. Do you know how long modern medicine will, will take to reverse that condition on a child? An hour and a half, two hours at the most. So do you understand that how tragic things are? how, you know, moral prejudice and greed is creating a monster. Do you know, I tell you something else, it's funny, it's funny, it's tragic, but uh, the pharmaceutical industry, the big pharma are being sued all the time. And they are paying fees of $650 million, $800 million because of the damage they caused to society by developing opiates or whatever. Do you know that I see another opioid crisis inside the hospitals? Let me tell you. Um, patients that are hospitalized right now all over this country are not receiving enough opiates. Patients that need opiates are not receiving. And the ones that are receiving are receiving a low dosage, which is not helping them much. And this is, uh, is so much unnecessary pain all over the, the place. Why? Because doctors are ignorant. How do you measure a good medication? 
the good effects the medication can do against the side effects. So what are the side effects, the main side effects of opiates? The dependency, right? So if I can in five hours reduce, the, uh, not reduce, eliminate the dependence in somebody dependent for 30 years, so how long will it take me to reverse the dependence in somebody dependent for a month? So imagine that what I know, every doctor in every hospital would know. So if you are hospitalized with a lot of pain, they give you opiates as much as you want, as much as you need. One day before they discharge you, they make you a test. If you are dependent, they reverse it in an hour. And you go happy home. And it's finished. So what I'm trying to say, the ignorance of the academic, and I will say something strong, the academic industry, they are so cruel that my advice, if there's somebody from the pharmaceutical industry, you know, I will give them a, a hint. You know, they should sue the big academic institutions because of the ignorance of the doctors. Nobody's using more opiates as they should in the last 50 years. So they cause a lot of financial damage to the pharmaceutical industry by not knowing enough to use the opiates as they should. So you understand. So it's a little bit of, of craziness out there. You know, if, if a newborn... 40% who have brain damage is totally unnecessarily. Children with cancer will lose their life. They are, they are healed from the cancer, by the way. But they will be open-dependent for the rest of their lives. Isn't, isn't it tragic or almost criminal? And I'm sorry to tell you, my, my IQ level is probably average. You know, I wish I could say I'm a great professor. I have a great mind. No, I don't. I don't. I'm a hardworking man. I'm a simple critical care doctor that is using what is written in textbooks of medicine. I did not invent anything. I developed. And I have a lot of experience by treating, you know, I treated more than 25,000 people in my life. So, so that's it. And, and I'm in America not to open a big company, a big clinic and make millions because, you know, as I said, you can believe me or not. I don't believe in numbers. Uh, so I live my life and my family in a very modest and simple way. Uh, I'm here to teach and to share with others, uh, you know, my experience. But there is a, there is a firewall of, of the interest of... of Wow, of the addiction world. I was at the, I was at the Senate talking with senators in a big commission of uh, about drug addiction, and I told them, you know, let me teach ten anesthesiologists, let each one of them teach another ten, and then you put it as a requirement. If you want to become a senior anesthesiologist, you must know how to reverse opiate dependency, and that's it. There's no crisis. So the treat will be widely available everywhere. The insurance companies will have no choice but to pay it. And that's it. And, and you know how many senators came to talk with me after this, this committee? One. To say, Dr. Weissman, you know, you came from Israel. You guys are tough people. So be tough. Nobody will talk to you because you're rocking the boat. And that's it. They don't want less budget in this commission next year. They want more budget. 
because that's how they measure they measure their importance on how much but how much budget they can play around now what you tell us zero budget on drug addiction let just let anesthesiologists do what they're supposed to do that's what you're telling me so your program there's no money there so nobody will like to hear what you have to say do you understand where we are yes and it's uh oh, i didn't know all that it's really sad to hear. So greed yeah. and ignorance. That is really sad. Um, and I love uh, your initiative, everything that you're doing. You have developed this treatment. Again, it's called ANR, Accelerated Neuroregulation. And you are passing that on the message you're educating. You, you have become a teacher. So I absolutely love your commitment to healing and to spirituality, I must say, because I love the way you talk about love and gratitude. That's the spiritual component. You bring in spirituality into your work without, of course, talking about God or religion. But that's what I see. And um, what is not to admire? I know that sounds strange, but I realize that chemistry is a tool that allows us to expand you know, our our material presence to something much beyond all that. So that's what probably you, you're talking about, spirituality. Because our capabilities as humans are unmeasurable. But we need a certain stage of health to enjoy all that. Therefore, we know we didn't speak almost about nutrition. I just mentioned it. But I consider one of the most dangerous places in town, the supermarket. Because it compromises so much our brain, so much our digestive tube, and we do have a lot of brain in the digestive tube, that people, they cannot feel love, they cannot feel free, they are dependent on, on, on levels of, crazy levels of sugar, they are, the, you know, we could talk about nutrition for hours, but everything is connected, and, and the ultimate, ultimate goal has to be to to the harmony and harmony, the fuel of harmony must be love. Maybe I'm wrong. No, oh, no, and, you're not and, wrong. <laughs> and the fuel of love is gratitude. So everything is into it is 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 connected to everything. And and, and I think health is is an element uh, element that allows all that. So for me, if I treat a patient and I don't talk with my patients about all that. You know, my, I don't want people to be clean. I don't care if you're dirty or clean. I want people to, to live in harmony, to feel love, you know. That's why I do what I do. It's not that I get, I'm against it, this or I'm against that. So what you said, that the, the spiritualism and everything else, yes, yes. That's the ultimate goal of, of, of what I do Yeah. In my in my take. Everything you talk about, I know it's, um, it is specializing. It is very a direct message in the treatment and the solution for opioid addiction. But I hear that in every word you say, that spiritual message of bringing human beings to that level, physical level, biological level, so they're healthy, so they can and express love and gratitude in this lifetime. And that's such a, I mean, I can't say enough. That's exactly what I do, what I do, <laughs> and talk to the people I do for that reason. People classify us as humans with five senses, which is totally wrong. You know, it's unimaginable 
the amount of love somebody can feel, the, the, the number of smells I can smell in this world, the numbers of things I can touch and I can hear and I can, I mean, is endless, is endless. So to exercise of all that, you know, unfortunately, most people, they live and die without experimenting 1% of what they could because they are distracted. And that's our enemy, is distraction, when everything is just here, you know, in us and everywhere else. Right. Anyway, uh, I'm, I'm running away <laughs> <Yeah>. from our <laughs> No, I'm no, sorry. no. That's exactly it. That's uh, you're just going back to it. It's exactly <laughs> it. We just have to go deeper. And a lot of times we are because of addictions, we don't. We don't go deep enough. We don't see yes. what we need to see. So I would love to mention that this method, the ANR, is available now in more than 20 countries. So I know it's available in the United States. Can you please tell me what states, what hospitals, and also if this is accessible to most people with opioid addiction? No, first of all, first of all, again, I'm in a process. I'm, I'm, I'm um, teaching at, uh, at, uh, at one hospital, the, the Soto Memorial Hospital, and I'm starting to, to work probably in a month from now with a chain. They own like 200 hospitals and hopefully... We're going to be able for this chain to introduce. We are talking with insurance companies, but until people are not educated, and they, they will not have the demand. Because again, uh, is the internet is a war, you know. Uh, I receive phone calls and, and people say, yeah, you know, make one clinic, make as much money as you want, don't teach. So, that, so there's a war in the internet, people trying to... You know, to do all kinds of it's very complicated. I don't think this will interest the public, but that's my my quest and that's my struggle and you know, and that's how I make my breathing worthy is is fighting this. It's almost like um it is it is, it is a war. Uh, don't be naive about that. There's no empty spaces in this world, you know. There's a lot of money. Just the American government adds to what is in the market another $38 billion a year for treatment. So, you know, there's so much money there. So everybody wants a piece of the cake and uh, of the pie and nobody wants to give away. And what I'm doing is taking this treatment out of the centers into the hospitals. And I'm, I'm destroying, I would eventually destroy a whole a huge market, you know, so is things are not easy. So, and, and, and people doing all kinds of Olympic detox, rapid detox, trying to tell that's the same thing that I do. And there's all kinds of things out there in the internet. So it's a, it's a bit complicated to swim in this uh, sea of sharks. You know, I love sharks, but uh, <laughs> you know, those are hungry sharks. <laughs> yeah, that's a, a good illustration for that, unfortunately, again, sadly. If your intention is that people will find the right stuff, they have to connect my name, Dr. Weissman, to the name ANR. So whatever has the both of the names together is us. Anything else is anything else because, you know, people even trademark the name Weissman and they have a clinic in Beverly Hills offering whatever treatment they are offering under a name that's mine too. Oh, anyway, so no. it's a crazy world. Yeah, I see. So 
Within my platform, as you know, that will be connected, obviously. And when I got the information about you, I was really excited because I know how sad it is and I know how yes. many people suffer with this. Mm -hmm. So I got really excited. Oh, my God, this is amazing. So I want to thank you again. And I love your vision. I know you just mentioned and I, I mentioned earlier about hospitals. So your vision is to for this treatment to be available in hospitals. So it's almost like you, you mentioned a dentist appointment. <laughs> so, of course, of right? course. I love that. What a of beautiful course. vision. It's like any other illness. You know, if, if somebody is uh, have broken bones because he drove drunk, nobody will confront him morally. They're going to treat his bones. That's it. We, we are not here to confront patients morally because why did he use drugs? No. We are here to heal them. And let them have a great life afterwards. Hmm. That's it. Yeah, I love your message. I love, love, love your message. What can I say? <laughs> Thank you so much um, for being you, for being open to life, for being uh, open to the higher ground, which um, it is to me. It's being a spiritual being before being a human being. But I know we need to treat the body uh, in order to understand the spiritual beings that we are, or at least get the benefits of that. So... And I know from my own experience, too, uh, that sometimes I'm just bad mood and all, and then I just realize it's just hormones. It's just the menstruation is coming. I'm like, oh, that's what it is. It's very simple, actually. And then I do what I have to do at a physical level, and then the mind is really great. <laughs> that's interesting. You know, I feel it was a privilege talking to you, and it warms my heart, and it warms my uh, emotionally because there's a lot of people like us out there. And I believe that we are made of, out of the same material. You're doing on your track what you're doing and doing what I'm doing. But we come from the same place and we are trying to go to the same place. So uh, for me, it's great when I meet somebody like you. It gives uh, me a lot of power too. Uh, so thank you very much for being you. <laughs> thank you for the acknowledgement of that. That's yes. wonderful. Before we say goodbye for today, I have to ask you about your book. I know you're writing a book that's titled Changing of the Guards. So talk to me for a moment about that. You want to be the first one to know? Yes, <laughs> yes. So I tell you why the first one to know. You are the first one to know that I'm, I'm deleting everything I wrote about that book. <gasps> oh, you are. Because I think I, I realize at this point of my life that's a little bit of arrogance talking like the number one guy of whatever and telling all my messages. I think that the book of my life has to be written in the heart of each, each human being I meet. And that's my, and that's the thing. Not to write a book that people can read and, uh, can read and other people will promote regardless. So, uh, you know, what is expected from me is to keep writing my book in each one each one's heart each one each human being that i meet or somebody that was instructed for me will meet so i decided that uh, i want to i don't want to leave a, a name behind i want to leave to leave behind an approach not a name so i'm trying i'm working hard right now to try to disconnect from the name <laughs> yeah. and just to leave the knowledge and experience and the approach so it is a whole thing with bet between me and myself Yes, and I can see that. And I can hear the wisdom behind that. Thank you so much for being in touch with the higher self, as we call it. Mm. Uh, that's beautiful. So my last question to you, what three experiences you wish everyone to have before they lose the body, before they die? Before they move on, I think they, they, I, I, one is that feeling that you are floating in the air 
the feeling of, of love is something beyond everything you could expect and you and you accept that there's not there's not a roof on that is infinite the amount of love you can feel uh, and that's it you know there's not three things what is three things is just to, you know <laughs> is that you can go into a bath and the, wa- the water will not move because your mass is already allowing the you know the atoms everything to go through you it's total harmony in everything that surrounds us as a gesture as a gesture of gratitude that that you don't you reach a place that you don't disturb you know you don't take a place anymore a material place so i expect that people will reach that level of harmony and they, then they can can move on naturally and become part of everything so it's just i don't know yes an infinite times that Yes, yes. I, I, you know, I don't believe in time. You know, the past is a photo album. The present never existed. The future, who knows? So everybody is limited by numbers and by the concept of time. You know, our moment is infinite. It's, I mean, you know, I don't know. We we could talk a lot, but uh, uh, you know, yeah, that's. Um, I mean, you could easily be a spiritual teacher <laughs> and get your mess across clearly. <laughs> So I want to thank you again for your beautiful presence, for your elevated, spiritual, ah, powerful message, of one of harmony, love, and gratitude. It's, yes. I mean, I'm very grateful for that. My heart is open. So thank you so much, Dr. Andre, for thank being you. here. Thank you. Thank um, you. And my last technical question is, what is the best place to find you, <laughs> to read more about you, <laughs> to know more? I don't know. I don't know. My I wife do. is wondering <laughs> that every day. And my children too. I don't know. To find me, put Andre Weissman in A and R, whatever is mm. there. And I don't take care of those things. So even how they perceive me, <laughs> I don't know. I'm in Tampa most of the time. I'm going. I travel to Switzerland. Travel to Israel. In Tampa, they know where I am physically. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so you know the office in Tampa, you have probably the information. But I, I'm I'm always going from somewhere to somewhere. You know, uh, my home is in my heart. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. It is. <laughs> Sounds like freedom to me. So you're free. Yeah, I don't know. But, but to, be, to be honest with you, my, my my home is in my heart, and and in in the hearts of of thousands of people that I don't even know them. So there's a little bit of home everywhere. Thank you so much, Dr. Andre. You're welcome. That's beautiful. Welcome. So I do have a website here. It's anrclinic.com, and I'll have that on your podcast profile as well. Thank you so much again for your beautiful presence. We'll talk Thank soon. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Dr. Andre Wiseman and his work, please visit anrclinic.com To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org/podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.